Welcome to the Soccer Doctors Podcast with Dr. Andy Harper and Dr. Craig Duncan. Hey everyone, uh, welcome again to Soccer Doctors and we're very happy to be here and very happy to see Harps again. How are you, mate? I'm well, I'm well. I, I, um, every, every time we do this, right, there's a few things we've got to clear up before we get going, but <laughs> every time I, I, I hit click on the Zoom link and it comes up, <laughs> And I'm doing it now because there's something about you. But every time I see your face on the screen, you just make me laugh. Yeah, well, that, I just, I that don't used know to what be it at, is. That used to be at school too. I remember yeah. we used to sit. I still remember it in geography, geography, natural systems. Um, the teacher fails me. I can still remember him. Um, yeah, and, Barry Willis. Barry yes, Willis. yes. And you used to sit across from me in those chairs, and you used to laugh and a the lot. The teacher's nose. Yeah. Yeah. You, but do you, know, do you know what? What I remember from that geography class. This is 1983, 84. <laughs> it's it's not new. Although although one of your very famous HSC answers did come out <laughs> in that class. <laughs> what I remember. <laughs> oh dear. What I remember in that class was the Murray Darling Basin. I'm trying to get serious now, but I. I this is a lot easier if I don't actually look at you. Okay. The, the, we, we, we did. <laughs> we did the Murray-Darling Basin and we were talking about it or being taught this stuff as 16, 17-year-olds in 1984 and you listen to the radio in 2021 and it's the same stuff. It's, mm. it's incredible, the lack of progress. In, in a lot of ways, that sums Australia up, in, unfortunately, in some senses. But the funny story... This is what was making me laugh. Was you are the one who's just brought <laughs> brought up HSC geography, and and this is why it's one of those mystifying things. How from that very humble starting point, you've become one of the world's leading sports scientists. Because uh, you proudly declared in an HSC question when we had to describe weather patterns and cumulonimbus clouds, which was something we had to identify and explain. Uh, the, the 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 later to be PhD in sports science most scientific description of the cumulonimbus was the white fluffy thing in the sky. <laughs> white fluffy thing in the sky. I think I think the moral to that story is that um, someone's beginnings may well be humble, mm. but they don't need necessarily to define what that person might become. You're a great example of that. Um, um, thanks for that, Harps, but I, I will go back and I think that was poorly marked, actually, because <laughs> as, as, a, as an applied scientist, my job is to keep it very, very simple. And um, you would know, working with coaches, I talk about white fluffy clouds in another way when I'm describing data these days. Because the thing is, yes, you've got to keep it simple. If you look into the sky, everyone, I ask you, everyone right now to look into the sky and if you can see a cloud, how would you describe it? You'd go, that's a white fluffy cloud. Do I need, do you, do you look into the sky when you're out on your 5,000 acre property that you own? Do you look into the sky and go, what do you say with those clouds? Do I you, wish it would. 
you I do, wish it would rain most of the time. Yeah, well, that's right. But do you? But there's not enough white fluffy things. Yeah, but you don't call it the scientific term, do you? Well, I'm not a scientist, but you are. Well, you were, you aren't now. You weren't then. You very clearly weren't then. I mean, my yeah. goodness, if that people knew. Now, the other thing, I, before we get going, on, yep. on I, I have to, I have noted this. And firstly, we should refer. Are we? Oh, it's a bit scattergun to start with. We should refer people to. Well, not refer them, but let them know that um, some of the references we might make are to visual things, and because. You put this on YouTube or something, don't you? Yes, I do. And it is yeah, on right. YouTube. Yes. So. Yeah, so there's been a couple of times where we've, we've commented on, like, you don't like my flannelette shirt. So I've really tried to ramp things up. I'm really trying to get a lot more professional now, um, particularly because you put this through YouTube. Yes. And, and so I, I, I do like to wear, well, instead of just wearing what I would wear normally, like my flannel shirt, you ripped that to pieces, which I yes. thought was, you know, pretty snobby of you. But I thought, okay, well, for the for the sake of being even a little bit professional, I'll try and wear the Australian tracksuit. But it looks like well, the, whatever I can get. It looks like the best and less version. Well, I'll take that. That's that's, that's not very nice. <laughs> no, authentic. It isn't. It is authentic. I can see is the, it the way I wear it. No, no, no. You wear it, but you know what? Your allegiance to um, the University of Michigan is outstanding. Yeah, I'm a loyal person. Yeah, person. yeah, that's what I like. And uh, what's their names after you? You dampened they're, my they're week. The Wolverines. Well, surely that names have to be changed. How is that right? You know the Wolverines. I think about? I think that's offensive. I think the Wolverine name. It, well, you talked about the my Cleveland. Is this Indians because you're vegan? Is this your veganism? No, no, no. The Cleveland Indians had to change their name have to you the Guardians. That publicly, yeah. Your yeah. veganism. <laughs> Everyone knows that. Everyone knows. No one knows anything about you. You're a great mystery. Because what I'd like to know is how do you marry veganism with far-right politics? Oh, I'm not far-right at all. Well, well, I'll ask you the question. Okay. Far-left politics. And there you are carving your pet cows. And you told me that they're like pets. You like to sit out in the paddock with them and talk to them and all that sort of stuff. What are you saying to them as you cut them off to the abattoir? Well, it's just part <laughs> of the food. It's part oh, of the I've food cycle. That. Yes, I've heard that. I've heard that. But no, look, well, it is. But look I, I am not an activist about that. It's just more from my... It's actually, I, I just never really liked um, eating animal products too much. Just Ever? as a kid. No. Really? Not really. Even when we were kids, I, I didn't really, uh, didn't really take to it. Um, mm. Never, I've never had a steak in my life. Really? Yeah, true. So well, I'll, I'll have your share. Um, yeah, yeah. Can I just, can I just also, for those of you who are watching this on YouTube, can I just, um, can I just refer to my headphones? Yes. And how, look how, how you are pro I, today. How modern do I look? It's another thing. So first, I, I come into this for. And routinely what's happened in these award-winning podcasts that we've been producing. Yeah. Are we double figures yet? Oh, our listeners have gone up. And, and yeah, yeah. Yeah, to, our, to, to our listeners out there, thank you for that. And please share yeah. share this. Um, are you allowed to say something's gone viral? When you live in a pandemic, are you allowed to claim something is going viral? Is that now a good thing or a bad thing? Yeah, well, it's probably probably not the the right way. I mean, look, everything's so politically correct now, isn't it? That we, you know, I I don't know what it's gone, but what we do know is that we're gaining a following. 
Right, okay. Well, just, just to that then, um, the, I go through this process every time I log on to you. Firstly, as I said, I laugh. Um, yes. You're great tonic. You're great yeah. for my mental health. Like that. You always have been. Um, the second thing is now I've realised after being bashed around by you that I've actually got to dress up for this. I didn't, you know, I, I thought the part of the beauty of this was just two blokes shooting the breeze, but yeah. you're so judgmental that every time I come yeah, in, um, yeah. so if it's not the flannelette shirts, now it's the Lowe's looking Socceroos. Yeah, I know. And I was going to And the next something. thing yeah. I've had to do is try and look techy. So I've got these headphones on that aren't actually doing anything, but it makes me look like I'm part of the 21st techno revolution. And I think that's important. Yeah, but anyone that really knows you, and, I, and I, I'm not sure if he still listens, but our one of our, if not our favourite and uh, best coach that we know that has listened to a couple of episodes of this, even he made yeah. a comment about that you don't even know your way around a mobile phone. So, <laughs> so the yeah. excitement that you were able to hook up those headphones yeah. in such a quick way, and you do look professional. So I'm very, very happy about that. Yeah. Um, I didn't mind the flannelette shirt because I thought, I didn't know it was going to be a regular part. But when I saw it day after day... <laughs> I get I get dressed up now. I was actually more concerned for your the longevity of your marriage than than my my concern with the you know I just wanted to give you a few hints. Oh, well, okay. You know, but well, now you're dressing nicer. I think that's okay. good. I think. That's well, good. and the, and, and the other thing which we need to clear up is, for some reason, and I don't know if I'm supposed to take this personally. Yeah. Or this is a slight on Eddie. And I'll go into bat for them, but you've, I, I think, rather, der, 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 um, what am I trying to say here? You've changed the wild music to banjo music. Yes. And how good is that? You know, our introduction. Well, for it's, everyone. it's fantastic. But is that like a dig at me? <laughs> no, the thing is, this is, this is a funny part about your hubs. We changed that episode one and you, and then I didn't, no, Did we? we kept talking about the whale music. We spoke about that. And you said, I like <laughs> the banjos because it came in with your country yeah, sort of thing. And it, and it sounds uplifting. We need uplifting. And then and then you started talking about the whale music and we, we had changed that. And um, so, no, it wasn't a dig at you at all. It was just uh, about we wanted to bring joy and hope uh, to, to everyone that, that watches. So joy uh, and hope to you. And, um, and that's what we're going to discuss today, because apparently um, the Matildas seem to have brought huge joy and hope um, and pride to the Australian population. And mm. what's your thoughts on that? Well, that, that, that we know they're very popular. Mm, very popular. They've had enormous viewing figures uh, on the Olympic Channel, Channel 7. The, the, you know, the game against Sweden... Was, was it Football Australia put out a note that the game against Sweden was the most watched Australian women's team sport ever? Uh, that, uh, that I stand I, to be corrected. I tend to not look at any news releases from Football Australia um, right. because I, I think, um, yeah, are they always accurate? Well, I, I'm a that's a big so. call. That's a big call because you know if you think... I look forward to I look forward to Channel 7's official publication of yeah i mean people you know the people who are listening to this already probably have access to that sort of stuff you can get mm. get that online i haven't found mm. it yet but i know the game against great britain rated really well i mean 
it, it's all details anyway. The Matildas are a first tier property in the Australian sporting gathering. There's no question of that. I don't think you think that's you think that's up for debate. I think they're very very popular and. Um, uh yeah i'm not sure um look and, and it's really good uh i think the the girls put in gutsy efforts um but i think we need to dissect it a little bit i mean i i i get concerned um like one of the comments and i've got to bring it up here and um with your co-commentator uh something brendan speed said the other day and i took um I actually did say something to him on social media about that the selection of the coach is the greatest selection of a national team coach. Did he say in history? I'm not sure. And and so that's why I get a bit concerned. Let's let's dissect it first. What did the Matildas do? They made it to the semi-final. Um, they've just lost last night to uh, the US. Um, so if we look at it, they beat New Zealand. <clears throat> which you'd expect. Um, the Matildas, I think, are ranked 11, 12th in the world. Um, so so they, they beat New Zealand. They lost to Sweden. They drew with the US in a non-game. Basically, it was a non-game and came third in their group. Uh, they went into extra time against Great Britain after a goal in the 90th minute, took them into extra time. First half of extra time, Great Britain missed a penalty and two world-class saves from the keeper. And then they came home. They scored a couple of goals quickly. Um, and they, they got that victory victory there. Uh, they lost against Sweden uh, again. And they lost against the US last night. So effectively, in normal time, they had one win against a team ranked very poorly uh, below them. So... But we look at it and they got to the semi-final of the Olympics, which is a great result if we, if we just look at it from that perspective. My concern is going into the 2023 um, <clears throat> World Cup, what have we learned from the Matildas from this Olympics? Yeah, well, I, I think that's a more relevant question, actually, um, because I, I guess... I guess we've been encouraged with very, the various national teams and over various recent coaches to focus on the story behind the team. It's one way of looking at it. And I, I haven't been educated as, what, as to what the story behind this current Matilda's organisation is, to be frank. And that's that's my thing. So the results, wins, loss columns, not looking healthy for Gustafsson's um, start to his tenure. You know, they've played, well, they got how many? The first three games were awful. And, you know, it was like, wait, we're just getting things settled down. And <clears throat> then we go into the Olympics. But they haven't accumulated the wins. Um, that I don't know if he wanted the wins. This is this gets to my point about what, what was the point of this? What was the story? Of course, going as, as one of the top-ranked nations in the world to the Olympic Games with a stable squad, I think this is a key point, it's a stable squad. Basically, the first 11 didn't change. Basically, this first 11 as a group of players who are incredibly well-known to each other. And so then 
what I take out of that is, righto, we're in this thing to win this thing. And so part of the discussion has to be, how did they go in the attempt to win the gold medal? And the history books will say that, and we enjoyed the run through to the semi-final. how convincing was it? And I, because my thing was always, well, the World Cup at home with New Zealand, sharing rights with New Zealand is gonna be, I think a much bigger deal. Mm. Much, but this is just me now, right? But people like you, me, fans of the team, on the one hand, enjoy watching game by game, but I get the feeling we're all left to make up our own minds about what the point of this is. I, I, so what we can clearly see is that under the new coach, there's been a, a complete reversion to another style of football. Very direct, very physical, and, and as high intensity as they can make it. The high mm. intensity part's not a new discussion because when Ange started doing what he was doing with the men's team, then Alan Stachich as the Matildas coach uh, very seamlessly fell into that whole approach as well. And then took the Matildas to their high point in recent times. And then Ante Milicic came in with a similar possession base, let's try and control the game and away we go. So we got used to that. Mm. And Gustafsson has turned 180 degrees away from that. It's his prerogative, completely his prerogative. And it looked um, like- Is it his prerogative though? Like, what are we standing, like- Well, we don't know what the terms of his engagement are. Yeah, but I mean, we just looked at the Oli Ruse and we looked at the Matildas and it's like we've gone back to the- <laughs> Back to the, I don't know, like, like some of the, the biggest threat the Oli Roos had was a D.A. Agostino long throw. Yeah. Well, again, this is a vexed issue because what is the national direction? And it's hard to define a national direction when the component parts don't necessarily sign up for it. And as, we'll, as might come out in our discussions, you know, Australia in a lot of things doesn't have a clear identity. And it's, it's difficult for a sport like football, which is so global and impacted by so many influences and on the local scene by such influences um, as, the, as the multicultural and huge immigration rates. This all sort of comes into the discussion, but there still seems to me a lack of clear, clear identity. And so Tony Gustafsson gets the job and he changes, not, not with not without achieving, I think, some success along the way, and I'll talk about it in a tip, but it's it's it, it's it's complete turn a, a turnaround from where the, our teams were heading. Mm. I don't think that's inflammatory. I don't think that's a controversial thing to say. Um, and it sort of jolted me because I got used to, I was expecting a certain thing and what he's settled down in this 11 games or so since he's been in charge that it hasn't, it's, it's totally different. I mean, they play one midfielder short uh, they, with the three at the back. I, I'm not a fan of three at the back. That's a personal thing. They played with two midfielders, basically holding midfielders. I think we've been very short in that part of the field. But again, that's me being weaning myself off a team that goes out to dominate a game with the ball into a team that tries to dominate the with space. So the, 
uh, massive yield, goal yield, and leadership performance by Sam Kerr. Yes. Huge. Huge performances by a number of players. Kai Simon almost at the top of the list has rediscovered yes. some uh, of the best uh, creative football. Outstanding. Kaya Simon, I mean, outstanding since she was a 15-year-old and the resurrection of her was a highlight for me. Sam yeah. Kerr is a, I mean, Sam She's Kerr unbelievable. is a world, I mean, a superstar. Mm. There, there's no doubt about that. Um, <clears throat> they're the ones that stand, and also the young players that you've been talking about. Um, mm. I think they really showed uh, that we've got some future there. Well, I think that's another topic. You know, I think mm. Tamiki Yallop, over the course of the six games, contributed a lot. And, and Tamika wouldn't have been in my starting 11. Again, that's a personal thing. And it's not a comment on her ability because her ability shone through. She had a great tournament and proved her versatility. Alana Kennedy didn't start in the figuring, um, but finished apart from the error in the bronze medal match. Oh, I thought had a had a great topic, and there were there were two or three other players who performed with distinction. So <clears throat> they're good points. Uh, Ellie Carpenter is going to be a cornerstone of this team. I don't know that she's a centre half or centre defender. Uh, if she's going to become one, then that could be a dominant type centre centre defender. Then I'll wait and see, and that could be a great piece of talent identification and redeployment by the coach. Ellie's not that player at the moment, in my opinion, and it dovetails off the fact that I prefer to have right and left fullbacks and Ellie Carpenter bombing up and down as a right fullback at this point is my preference. But if the coach comes in and sees something in Ellie and the way he wants to play that she's going to serve the team better as a central defender, then I'll happily wait to see that development take place. And... To the point of what were we trying to achieve out of this, when we get to the World Cup and host it in 2023, if Gustafsson is right about Ellie Carpenter and she has become an incrementally, an exponentially better central defender by then, then I'll take my hat off and say that was a great piece of work. Mm. If he's doing it because he can't at the moment find any other central defenders, then I would have thought this is a great tournament to experiment with some kids mm -hmm. but this is not an experimental squad <clears throat> and this is my big point because how much better can this squad get and it's going to have to get a lot better to win a world cup at home and i say that for this reason i don't think the combinations were particularly good i thought the positivity the mentality the energy of the team was fantastic i think generally craig i'll be interested to hear your view on this i think generally the women's foot, the standard of the tournament generally has been subpar. I believe that for this reason. The US go into the, into the tournament as raging hot favourites, 44 consecutive matches undefeated in the run-in, ranked number one in the world. And to have seen them struggle over six games and not, it doesn't say to me that there's been an emerging better team coming through in a ranking sense, it shows that this team, this American team, as we discussed previously with Grant Wall, has probably run its course. And it's by the, by the time it comes in 2023, it's gonna be a vastly different team. And so when the US, <clears throat> as the powerhouse still, come into a tournament and struggle so badly, 
yet still win the bronze medal? Shows us a little bit. Germany, not there. France, not there. Italy, Spain, not there. Denmark, who touched up Australia, not there. Uh, Norway, not there. All these teams will be in the mix for the World Cup. And it, 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 I would have preferred my starting point on, on, on the Matildas was if you pick a, 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 an experienced season squad like you do, you got to win it. And they sort of came close. But there was no, I didn't even know if that was the point when they went there. That was certainly not, I didn't pick it up publicly. In fact, most of what we were led to sort of assume was that Gustafsson wasn't externally at least upbeat, aggro, really fired up about the Olympics. Maybe it's just assumed that that's what happens i think as australians we go to you know to to win everything i think uh <clears throat> i i don't think how many's just got a maybe a different demeanor than um than the Oli roos coach mm. who was stating that we would win a medal and mm. um what was it the group of dreams shocked the world haven't heard from him have you I haven't seen anything after the after after the Oli Roos got knocked out early. <laughs> no, that's a question. So maybe that's just his demeanour. I think we we take we take it that uh, Australia goes into any tournament, yeah, particularly in Olympics, to to do their very very best. And um, <clears throat> I think if we compare it to Rio, I was looking at Rio. Same thing happened. Third in the group, four points, uh, got to a quarterfinal with Brazil and was one penalty away from winning that to go to a semi-final. Mm. Um, this time, we won in extra time. So in Brazil, we went to extra time in the quarterfinal, went to penalties and didn't get through. Uh, this time we got through, lost the semi-final. So there hasn't been too much change, really, has there? Mm. Has there? I mean, just the you know um, same thing. Uh, still third in the group. So yeah, I think I think the concern is like I think and I think what you're raising now we've got two years to a World Cup, uh, less than two years to a World Cup. <clears throat> I would expect every one of those senior players wants to be in an Australian World Cup, uh, Australian-based uh, World Cup. So they're going to do everything to hang on. Um, so it's going to be some big decisions that need to be made. Yeah. Also, with the pandemic, how many games are we going to be able to get in to to um, to to get players to uh, really have an opportunity to press um, for future places? Yeah. And uh, I think you know everyone's excited about a Mary Fowler, and um, but the, you know it, and so am I. But it's easy to come in off the bench. There's a difference between going from that level to a starting player. Uh, so, you know, like two years away and you can see it, it's going to be interesting, Hubs. It's going to be interesting. And there's a lot of key decisions have to be made. Um, I still question again, um, with a lot of those senior players still there, where was Lisa Devana? What, what, why has Lisa Devana's cards been marked? Um, yeah. And I think that's what I'd like to hear from FA. You've got, uh, with the caps that she's had, 
And her coming in 15 minutes off the bench with her experience and her ability and her uh, still her speed. We've seen what yeah. she just did in the W League. Harps, tell me why she wasn't there. Oh, I, I, look, it, it's a, it, to me, it's a mystery. <clears throat> it, it's a mystery that she's not there. It's a mystery even that the team didn't rotate at all. Oh, yes. I mean, Caitlin that's, Ford, that's interesting. Caitlin Ford had a good bronze medal match. Mm. But, but Caitlin, I thought, compared to where what she's delivered for the national team in the past, I thought was a was a pretty peripheral figure. And and Emily Gilnick comes on, scores a ripping goal. Congratulations to Emily for that goal in the bronze medal game. It was a beauty. But, you know, if, if Emily can't get more of a run with Caitlin's form for, those, for the lead-in in the first game or two, I mean, it's um, questionable, certainly compared with what we've seen from Caitlin Ford, then, then when is he going to make a change? And what did he, apart from reputation, what did he see in the lead up to the Olympic Games? Mm. And how, how much better is this team going to get? And, and, you know, Ange, we keep deferring to Ange, but he's had such a, he did put such a stake in the ground. So, yes, Australians go to tournaments and we want, expect to win. But he goes to the World Cup in Brazil in 2014, but he completely overhauled the squad in time, almost completely overhauled the squad in time for that 2014 World Cup with the view to the Asian Cup in 2015. You were right in the middle of all this. Correct. You watched all this. You watched him bring, expand the pool of players. How do I have more choice? If player A gets injured, where do I put, who's the player B? And if player C is dropping in form, who's player D? And he went through a lot of lost football matches, as we know, um, coming into the Asian Cup before things started to turn. Correct. Yep. It worked. I don't know what Gustafsson is doing. What's the story here? Like, are we, are we going another two years with this same very experienced squad and, and thinking, hoping, believing, let's say believing, that they can win the World Cup or make the final? Because semi-final is minimum expectation at home. Semi-final? And I would have liked you're, the Olympic... You're saying that now. Semi-final is semi-final. minimum. Okay. It has to be a minimum. It has to be. It, it has to be. Or else, you know what? If he'd if it blooded three or four kids in this team with the experience around them, that they can be ready in another two years. And I'm talking the likes of Mary Fowler. We've seen enough. He'd obviously seen enough to take a to the Olympic Games, why not Why not give her more game time? He's prepared to, or, do, or does, does he not fit this? There's only two, there's two midfielders, at this the way the team's looking, there's mm-hmm. two midfielders to play, they're both holding midfielders. So there's no room for a fowler in that. Is that what we're saying? And, mm-hmm. and can that win us the World Cup? Claire Wheeler, I, I'll, I'm gonna be a broken record with this. Needs to, she not only doesn't, bear badly by comparison. She actually improves by comparison. The more I see her against the incumbents, she's got to be in there. Cooney Cross had a had, had some taste. And I'd like to think in two years' time, depending on the number of games she gets, like you say, can be a, a, a more considered contributor. Then you look at the defence. I mean... What's the solution apart from taking your right fullback and putting her into the centre of defence? What about the the Tory Tumuths of this world, the youngsters coming through, to have been there as a youngster, player 17 or 18 on the squad, 
if, and she's captain of the Young Matildas, she's just a name. What about, it's sundry other players to be prepared and ready to contribute for the Home World Cup, or is it going to be the same group of players? Yeah, it's the interesting. same group of players, as you've said, how much better can they get? Mm. Similar results, almost replica results, apart from penalty shootouts here and there in the last two Olympic Games. So what, what's the form line say on this? Yeah. And, and how much more is it going to change? It's interesting. Like, he did make a big change that I think sort of went unnoticed, is that he changed uh, the goalkeeper, mm. uh, Lydia Williams, which has been... a. Uh, you know, a cornerstone to the the Matildas over the years, an outstanding servant to the mm-hmm. to the game. And uh, after game one, uh, he did make a big change. Yep. Um, and overall, you would say uh, the the goalkeeper um, that came came in had a pretty good tournament. I mean, you never want to have a, a goal scored against you from direct from a corner, but I mean, she did, I think, effectively win the game against Great Britain. Mm. with three, a penalty save followed by two world-class saves in the matter of moments in the first mm. half of uh, extra time, wasn't it? Mm. Um, but that was a big change. Yeah. Yeah, and look, Tegan Micah had a great season. I remember the first game of the last W League season, Melbourne City played against Brisbane Raw, and Brisbane Raw threw everything at the goal, just couldn't score. And that was mm. became Brisbane's issue through the season until the finals. They got on a run to the finals. So Tegan Micah was fantastic all W League season. She's been fantastic since uh, she's she's played at Olympic Games. In fact, that corner that Megan Rapino scored was hit brilliantly. And Tegan will be very disappointed she didn't deal with it. But it was Tegan's excellent save to concede the corner in the mm. first place. Mm. So yes, that was a that was a change she's made. And look, another really interesting change. Amongst all the difficulty of the lead-up to the to the Olympic Games, smashed by Germany and Holland, well beaten by Denmark, a draw against Sweden, loss against Japan, one of these shining lights, and there weren't many as they were going through that, was Ivy Lewick. Yes, you've said it. Yep, you've stated that. Yep. Now, now, you know, you know, she's not a future prospect. She's a here and now, thirty-six years of age, but it's certainly a late bloomer was the standout player in that well-beaten team as the one person who was holding water, if Mm. I can use the analogy. And then she suffered because she got moved into the defence, which was Mm. problematic, and the back three didn't suit her. But what we lost was a really controlling midfielder. And Gustafsson never put her back into the centre of midfield, which I think was an area where we really struggled. We, We didn't even pretend to try and control it. This is a total... This is the... This is the change of direction from where we've come. No, no interest. Emily Van Egmond was at her best in this tournament when she could turn and look up and spray the ball wide. And the passing completion wasn't 100%, but, but her willingness to open the play with really direct diagonal passes was, was starting to look like the Emily Van Egmond was, who was the dominating midfielder. But a lot of the time in this game, it's either because Emily, I don't sense this because none of the players were talking about uh, any negativity. They all seemed so upbeat with the way the team was playing. So I have to take it as red. So was Emily really, did she really have her wings clipped as just a holding midfielder who was basically a lot of the time bouncing the ball from one centre, off one centre defender to the other? 
rarely was it seemed to me, it's either Emily's decision or the coach's imprimatur, rarely did she sort of get in that what they call the half-turning midfielders to receive the ball and take it forward and play. It was side and back, side and back, cautious, 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 until we could hit a long ball. Now, he's obviously identified our strength is Sam and our strength is the power up front, so let's just get them the ball. So, you know, that rationale can be can be followed and defended, but what it means is we didn't, outside of the bluff and bluster, and I don't say that in the pejorative sense, I say that mm. in a positive sense, I mm. thought the girls played with great bluff and bluster. Mm. Real, they had real steam coming out of their ears and, yeah. and, and, and I really, you know, I think all, a lot of us probably would have really engaged with that. But it also came at the expense of actually controlling the game. Yeah, because Emily Van Eggman. And we have to do both, I think. That's where we were sort of heading. Yeah, because Emily's... the path of doing both. Yeah, because Emily's a great player. There's no no doubt about that. She's physically good as well. And, and she can really play, you know, play football. So you, you could be right. It would be interesting, you know, did they have their, their wings clipped? I mean, you've, when we go through the players that are in that team, there is the quality there to play very... Uh, attractive football isn't there and um and i yeah and i you know when you're naming them and and going through it you go yeah there's there is really the quality quality there um sam kerr being an absolute superstar um but we don't and and also not our only weapon you know we've got got lots of weapons there well we need we should have yeah and then i mean uh, again i'll get back to it um uh, for me the most outstanding player uh, for for the Matildas. Well, outstanding. I mean, Sam's always going to be up there, and all the others have you know that we've mentioned have had great tournaments. But I I think Kaya Kaya Simon. What I saw from Kaya Simon uh, early early on and throughout the tournament that that's exciting. And uh, knowing Kaya Kaya being a, a good athlete as well, I think she could even be better coming into two thousand twenty three when. Many of us thought um, that that she might have been past her best, but because we need to remember, Kaya Simon was a superstar when she was young, since she was fifteen years of age. You know, she she was um, she was the Sam Kerr, you know, sort of uh, that that sort of potential and 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 ability. So I think she could realize that if she can stay injury free. Uh, and that's really exciting. If you start getting her and Sam working in really good combinations, um, I, I think we've got the players, the players to do the job in 2023 with the young ones coming through. But gee, we need to, yeah, we need to start getting what we are about. And um, I think, yeah, I, I think I'd, we could do much better if we were playing, I suppose, a better brand of football. Well, I, I, whether it's better or not, I think with the players that could come through and I, I think that it, it can be a more successful type of football. Mm-hmm. We watch this Olympic Games and Kaya has not only got herself fit, but she's rediscovered her, her the creative juices. Mm-hmm. She was a, she's one of the few players on show in the Matildas team who could, who could actually swivel the body throw it you know mm. a bit of a dummy here make a half yard of space then hit a pa- hit a pass we've seen a lot of them do it before but they, they didn't seem to be in that headspace it was all very 
mechanical, very physical. This was like, I mean, I, I think watching the semi-final was watching Sweden versus Sweden light, to be honest with you. Yeah. And that might be a surprise giving, given where the, the coach comes from. But it's not, I don't know that that's necessarily us. And particularly when you've got Kaya Simon, if she can maintain that rage for a couple of years, what a fantastic story. And then Mary Fowler next to her, why not play both of them? It's the same sort of discussion as with the Oliroos, why not play Tilio and Azani together? Now, Mary Fowler can learn on the field, off a Kaya Simon, mm. instead of, and, and reorganise, you could reorganise the team to have those two players playing as number 10s, feeding Sam Kerr. That's why if Ellie Carpenter playing out on the right, she can cover that ground. And Steph mm. Catney can cover that on oh, the Oh, yeah. Left. And I can so tell you physically, physically they can. Easily. Physically, both, both of those players are outstanding. Both good players. So mm. if, if this is how I was watching that team. It's not, And we're in this privileged position now, just being fans who can shoot the breeze on this sort of stuff. But I honestly think this team is going to have a better chance at the World Cup if we have another Kai Simon in there. And if it's, I don't know if Ivy Lewick's going to be around, but it's an Ivy and an Emily at the, in midfield or, or one of those senior players holding that and a Claire Wheeler or a Kyra Cooney Cross being a number eight or another midfielder, or these are the permutations. And because across the front line, we saw the value of Sam Kerr. They've, who's the next one? And if, there's not going to be another Sam Kerr, but if something happens to Sam, where are the goals coming from? And how is this system yeah. that he's played at the Olympics going to produce goals that doesn't have a Sam Kerr at the end of it? That's a, that's a really great point, Harps, because, I mean, Sam has been very, very healthy for a long period of time. And, uh, you know, and thank goodness she has been. Uh, but that's right. What's what's after, after Sam? Can I just make a note about Sam um, in respect to her captaincy as well? I saw her interviewed a couple of times i mean she's a likable character i mean she really is and uh i think that's why she's such a favorite uh, and even what's great about the olympics is people get to see uh, a strain football that they might never see and then you see an interview with sam kerr and you just have to like her but gee her interviews post games this time compared to the world cup um in uh, 219, um, I remember that, you know, I, I don't want to go back over history, but then there was there was one period after, you know, she said a couple of things that probably weren't, weren't as wonderful. But gee, uh, you don't keep going back over some mistakes, but you love it when people come out and then you see a different in her maturity as a captain. Um, was just fantastic and and you know there are sometimes you want to say things and uh and i love that authenticity that mightn't want people want to hear and that's probably what she said after you know after this game i remember in 219 but now to see her speak after these games and uh that that was just just fantastic and she's really grown into that captaincy role and that sort of statesman of the team and uh, she's a she's a real credit to herself and her family. I, I think uh, just a just a great Australian. Well, I I agree with that. And mm. I think she's a terrific captain. And mm. she, I think she's an unbelievable captain, actually, not just because mm. she scored goals, but she realises how big and bright her star is. And mm. she's prepared to carry the extra load because of that. I, I wonder how much of this, though, I've just been thinking this, that, 
performing at the Olympic Games and being interviewed on television to an Australian audience for the Olympic Games is in a lot of ways very different for fronting the media uh, at a World Cup. Now, there's a few ways to cut this up. Because in a football sense, the World Cup is a bigger thing than the Olympic Games. It's certainly, it's certainly that in the men's, it has been, and it's becoming that. I think it's that now in the women's as well. It mightn't have always been, but it's certainly, I think it's that now. Add that to the, added to that is the fact that, you know, when you, it's the pressure of a World Cup and Sam a couple of years younger, so she's had time to mature, but also your audience in a World Cup, Dr. Craig, is, is this, is a way more focused sports audience. Mm. A large chunk of it is a football audience and the, and the football commentary can be very, very difficult to please and they're very quick to swoop on anything. Mm. And in the social media, this devilish thing called the social media, which swirls around the game of football in these microscopic environments, um, can be very, very debilitating. And I think a large part of Sam's reaction during the World Cup was to that. Then you get to the Olympic Games. Sam's she's she's probably dealt with the bruises of the World Cup. She's a couple of years older. Uh, I think importantly, and this is the beauty of the Olympics to me, the 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 Olympic Games is a far more universal, as far as society is concerned, a far more universal mm. experience. And so a lot of the feedback the team, the athletes are getting through social media is from families who are sitting on the couch together, yep. just enjoying sport. Yeah, There's a lot of football fans doing that. There's a lot of sport fans doing that. But there's another layer in the Olympic audience, which is just regular people in the community who once every four years sit down as a family and watch everything. Yeah. yeah. And they've got mobile phone, phones too. And just because they haven't been part of the chattering classes of a football World Cup, where it all gets magnified so much more, there's a big diluting element to this by regular people who are decent, they're not running agendas, mm. they see a team they think's performed really well, that they've, that's resonated with them and with whom they engage, and they happen to know Sam as well, they've heard a name, and they see the, the, the smiley interview and they on they go, how good's that? And so the feedback for the team and the players is is generally much healthier. Isn't that good? That's, I like that's that. one of the reasons I love the Olympics. And that's why maybe us as soccer football fans need to probably learn that because that's a really great point, Harps. And it's great. I really like that because I was watching the hockey last night, the men's hockey. I don't know anything about hockey. And we lost in the penalty shootout in the gold medal game. But I thought, how how wonderful you know, that was and the determination of the team and how great they did. But I suppose there'd be ardent hockey fans that could be upset at that, you know, that well, they, were, they yeah, were ranked number one in the world. Make um, no mistake, they haven't won an Olympic, they've won one Olympic gold medal and that over the course of time, they're the most dominant team in every other competition. Do you, know, do you know our lowest ever ranking? The men's hockey team we're talking. Yes, the men's hockey team, the lowest ranking that we've ever had in the world is, two, is four. Yeah, incredible. That incredible. But they can never win the Olympic gold medal. 2004, we won. One, um, one. Yes. and four times silver medalists now. So yeah. it's, it's, it's huge. But that gets to, that's exactly right. So yeah. the Olympic Games opens all this stuff up because let's remember the Hockey Roos, the female national team, has gone through this horrible internal civil war about personalities and 
And I, I'm not across the detail, but I read the top line, the headlines about, you know, the, the, the reviews into culture. And it was, it was, if you're into the hockey business yeah. and for a hockey tournament, you can imagine the people letting loose on that social media. But again, the lens opens up for the Olympic Games and everybody comes to the table. And it's a one, it's a two weeks every four years for the summer version where the fans of the sports are into the minutiae and people like you and me commenting on the way the coach put the team out and this yeah. player versus that player. I wouldn't know but anything. Lens, but the lens is way bigger than us. Yeah. And a yeah. lot of people, 2 million people are sitting down to watch the, the Matildas play against the Great Britain and Sweden, engaging with the team because they're fighting so hard and they're, and they're making their luck, they're riding their luck, uh, they're losing out to luck. And it's all these sports stories yeah. And then Sam Kerr fronts the cameras two years after the last World yeah. Cup. Great leadership development, but in a friendlier environment. But and she think- also, but Sam Kerr, I mean, the thing you've got to love about Sam Kerr and me, fortunate enough to have done a small amount of work with her, um, she's a really nice person and, uh, and a, uh, just a, a character, you know, an authentic character and even her comments in the 2019 World Cup. It's just like what she would have been feeling at the time. And she goes and says it. And and you've got to embrace that. And um, but just seeing her this time, because she is a she is she she is an absolute uh, good character, uh, uh, um, someone that uh is is charismatic and uh, I think has a lot to give. And also, I, I saw a wonderful story. I, I, she, she told it. I don't know if you saw this. That when she was first playing, and um, uh, someone, her, her mum came up and said, "Oh, there's some scouts from the the FFA back then wanting to have a chat to you about, um, you know, going on to camp or maybe one of the young teams." And she said to her mum, "She said, no, I'm not doing that. I just want to play the game. I'm just here to enjoy it." So I'm not going to, I don't need to do that. I don't need to chat to them. And uh, I think her mum sort of said to her, hey, maybe you should. And uh, because she was always just about playing the game. And I would imagine, and this is what I also like about a Sam Kerr and what I like about athletes is I would imagine that she can play a number of sports and be quite good at it. Oh, yeah. And exactly. that's what, and, and I, think, I think we really need to understand that as a football community. If you just have your kid playing football, 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 and you think they're going to be a great footballer, you are wrong. Hmm. I'm telling you now, what you a are great segue. Wrong. Yeah. What a great segue. Because we were saying that we had the whole family watching the Matildas last night. It was a really beautiful experience, actually. Yeah. I had uh, son, wife, and mother and father-in-law all, all in the lounge room, all watching the Matildas. And it was that great experience. Watching Sam Kerr, and, and watching her play, and we're making that point, you know, the W Aussie rules, whatever they call that, is... Um, Sam Kerr would, get, Sam Kerr would be a get, superstar in that. Well, they tried to get her to play. And she'd be a superstar. She'd be the best in the league. Yes. I, I don't know what it's called necessarily, but I know she'd be the best in the comp. You know what? Yep. The AFL knows that too, which yep. is why they've tried to get it. It'd be one of the classic AFL pincer movements of getting a player who would make their competition the best with inflicting, whilst at the same time inflicting a mortal wound on the Matildas. Yeah. Who, who, with their status and their 2 million viewers at the Olympic Games and Sam Kerr and the other girls, scare the bejesus out of the AFL. Make no mistake about it. So 
their, their, their play for someone like Sam Kerr is highly strategic. And Sam, to your point, just said, yeah, I want to travel and play sport. I love playing soccer. I go all around the world. So that's the first point. Second point about Sam Kerr, which is a broader one, is this. Um, Georgia Yeomandale made the point in commentary last night in passing that men's, women's football, Sam Kerr's the best header of the ball Australian football's got at the moment, certainly since Tim Cale has left. Now, that's not to say Sam could outperform... Harry Souter. <laughs> exactly. Outperform men in a duel in heading. Mm-hmm. But there's no, no one in the men's game who is as adept with the head as Sam is with hers. And, of course, that's good technique. Learnt in the backyard, I'd suggest, because Sam Kerr is the archetypal, what I call the backyard athlete. That, that is, to me, what has built Australian sport, backyard athletes, and we're losing the backyards. I like that's that. Why we're, that's I, I re- why we're struggling. I really like that. I'm going to write that down, and we are absolutely struggling in that. And one of the things I will say here is when I was watching the hockey roos, the girls, is the what I was impressed with, with their athleticism. Yeah. When we start getting uh, our Australian football uh, female teams, okay, to look very similar to that athleticism, we are, we are going to be uh, really at the highest level. Um, and we are at the highest level, but I think that's a, a, a very much something that we can aspire to. And that um, is something interesting because I have a concern, you know, I have a great concern. I think one of the problems with the physicality of Australian football players is this bias towards only doing football and then making statements like, well, that's all they do in Argentina and that's what they do in so-and-so. And And I can't tell you how wrong you are. Um, It's now the research is so strong uh, that uh, you want to be the best you can be in a specific sport, play multiple sports, multiple movement patterns. And, and we were butchered by, um, technical direction in the past that spoke about um the fallacy of the ten thousand hour rule and not understanding that and uh yeah if you're listening to this and i get a lot of people writing to me their kids are doing too much football you know they should be doing multiple multiple activities to be a better footballer um, sure, sure. We, we've got to streamline that whole thing it's not just about more football it's about more time with your family i, I don't oh. know what well, i don't know why you know the game, the game should organise its calendar so that school holidays can be family things. So I don't know why we we build this organism which is runs against the interests of family relationships and time together. Surely, in an organic process, oh. we can realise that kids need to be with with their mums, dads, carers. I know families take all different shapes and sizes sure. now, but everyone needs some downtime to go camping and enjoy each other's company. So time is one thing. The other point I would have to make, because I'm hitting your sweet spot here, um, it's mine too, about kids playing all different sports, different energy systems, different movement patterns, different muscle groups, different skill sets. Because on the back of what Georgia Yeomandale was saying about Sam, it's a point with which I agree, she's in comparative terms, the best header of the ball in the game at the moment from an Australian viewpoint. No one taught her that. No one taught her how to time those jumps. Where did she learn that? She learned that playing Aussie rules in the backyard. 
kicking the footy, jumping to catch. That is the value of letting our talented soccer players play different games. Mm. So we watch Sam Kerr do it, and we we know where it's come from. Not from you not not from a coaching curriculum book. It came from the backyard chasing when she was playing with the boys Aussie rules, out marking them, jumping them. How did she learn to read the flight of the ball so well? That's how. Yep. And I talked with. Um, there's a couple of A-League coaches on this at the moment as well. Luffy Tallow at Wellington. And I know Eugene Galekovic at Adelaide United is, is lamenting the fact that the young keepers coming through now cannot judge the flight of the ball compared <laughs> to someone like Eugene, outstanding goalkeeper, and all that generation, our generation, who, as well as playing their soccer, were out in the back, certainly in Eugene's uh, case, um, because he grew up in an Aussie Royal state, Kicking a footy, I'm sure, jumping and catching. How much did that help him come and take crosses when he was a serious goalkeeper? Oh, absolutely. But how much even even like me being a goalkeeper and not anywhere near Eugene's uh, class, but but wicket-keeping in the summer. Yeah. When you're seeing a ball come at you that's much smaller and much faster yeah. and just, yeah. just getting that movement. I mean, yeah. one of the great games we used to play at school, remember forcings back and things yeah. like that. And then when we'd play baseball, uh, whatever the sport, I mean, I talk about it a lot, but I just get so many parents writing to me that kids are just doing too much football. Um, and and people will listen to this. And if you're listening to this right now and you're t- going to tell me and it's going through your mind that Craig has no idea because look what Argentina do and look what they do in these mono sport sort of countries, you're actually wrong. Um, because they don't tell me what Messi does because Messi is an outlier. That's like not normal. Look at what so many of our great Australian uh, players have done. They played multiple sports. Okay. Um, <clears throat> even Argentina, Argentina, that's pretty much a football orientated country. Um, they have other sports as well. Um, and having worked in Iran, which is, you know, Iran's, um, I think ranked number one in Asia all their players have done multiple sports. Mm. They grow up doing wrestling, volleyball. Their, their greatest player, probably the best player in Asia at the moment is Sadar Azmoon, um, if it's not Song from Korea, but Sadar Azmoon, a superstar, um, top scorer in Russia last year. 16 years of age, he was in the national volleyball team. So you think that doesn't work out that he can head? <laughs> when he's judging the flight jump, of the tip. Jump and it, it's, it's complete. So we, our footballers get hit in this pincer movement. Mm. Too much of a single lane on hours, 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 not on yep. quality, quality, quality. Not enough time, downtime to rest and smell the roses and develop as people enjoying other pursuits. And then the school system, which is an abomination, where their yep. phys ed classes and their school sport is just grinding down worryingly. I mean, we're going to have the society's going to have to pick up the tab. We've talked about this before. We'll, we'll, we might talk about it again. Craig, look, we're sort of running out of, not running out of time, but there's one thing I definitely want to raise with you because our next couple of podcasts, we'll, we'll review the Olympics in general. We'll get yes. Dr. Steve back from Sydney Uni, who's big on the Olympic Games. Yes. And we'll get an American, another American's perspective from um, a keen sports watcher at the University of Michigan. Mm. Um, so that'll be our next couple. But before we go into that, the Wolverines. Wolverines. I watched, as you would have, 
uh, Peter Bowl run the 800 metres and was just so thrilled with the effort. His post-race interview, you can imagine all the, 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 the emotion running through and the hormones running through, but his race, apparently, his final was two seconds slower than his semi-final. Yes, because it's a very tactical race. That can happen. Mm. But the final itself, well, the final itself, uh, and I, I don't understand athletics, I just watch someone run fast and think, wow, or run for a long time, I wonder how they do it, keeping in mm. mind that I no longer go for runs, I go for something just faster than a walk. Peter Bowl and the commentators were saying that commentary's been excellent. Bruce McAvaney is incredible. Tamsin Lewis, I think, has been superb. I've really enjoyed mm. her contribution. So it gets to the end of the first lap, and they're saying this is to pick up, and Peter Bowl goes to the front of the pack and starts to pick the pace up because they think he needs it to be faster. Okay, I take that. It gets to the home straight and he's, he's passed by three and ends up finishing fourth. And then he says, um, you know, I really needed to work on that last 100 metres. I ran out of a bit of juice. So I'm thinking, I've got to ask Craig this. Mm. If, if the pace was fast from the start, such that he didn't need to go to first place mm-hmm. when the bell came. Wouldn't he have run out of juice even earlier? Like I, that, this is, I had this difficulty in understanding this. I needed under explained. Yeah. And what, what, what is the? And it gets, gets to that other thing. Like I'm watching long the five k and the ten k with my son, and and teams have this this lapper. You know, the guy who set a pace setter. Yeah. And then with two laps to go, he just drops out. And Kip, my son, says to me, what's the point of that? And I say, bugger if I know. Bugger if I know. Because if people running know that the guy who's out front, he is the pace setter, what, they know he's going to stop. So why? what pace is he setting? Well, so this well, is the same can, sort of question. You can never know if they're, they're going to stop. But you're talking about often the African nations have won and they, they sort of run it yeah. as a team, uh, which, is, yeah. which is, is very nice to see. Um, and then you go, okay, can you run your own race? It's, I don't think we understand how tactical these races are. Like, you know, um, in respect to how your opposition is, is working in, inside that race when it gets to the 800 mm. and get to mm. the 1500. Yes, we are limited by physiology. Um, and so your question might be, okay, why doesn't uh, like uh, uh, just someone go out and run, run their own own, own race because they are going to be limited by how fast they they actually yeah. can go yeah. um so it is interesting isn't it because we have seen we have seen in history where people have gone and run their own race and have been able to hold on because mm. there's been mistakes tactically done behind them yeah well that's what i'd like i mean when i when, when... <laughs> Soccer doctors doesn't even presume to get into a lot of athletics, but I, I, I wonder if you, I do wonder if you either have the insight or could find out, like how, how just to just to try and crystallise the question and what I'm thinking. The first lap of the 800 metres men's final apparently was slower than Peter Bowl would have suited him, so he goes to the front after 400 metres to, to to pick the pace up, but then he gets to the last 100 metres and he runs out of petrol. And so then I'm doing reverse logic and thinking, well, if it was a faster pace from the start, does Peter Bowl run out of juice 300 metres to go? Okay, so what's happening when you say run out of petrol? Basically, well, not run out of petrol, but, yeah, he's, but, you know, but basically he's yeah he's dipped into his uh, you know into that 
over his threshold that he can cope with and he and he doesn't have any any more to go because he's put in such a such a strong effort during that time because he's gone from a pace and then he's got to pick it up where if he ran a consistent pace for that period of time like a time trial you know and and he was more just just him against the clock he would race it very differently so now he's he's in this what's so difficult about the 800 is there could be surges you know, uh, so someone surges to the front. Different and energy systems. Yeah, because you, you're dipping in and you're dipping out. So it's just not a, you know, a consistent pace, which, uh, is, which is easier for us to handle. You can go, okay, this is, this is basically my threshold that I can, I, can, I can run at and I'm going to stay at that threshold for the entire and then I can kick it home for the last 100 metres because I'm nearly finished. What's happened there is he's had this, okay, he's dipped in over that threshold. So he's like basically taking money out of his bank account. But he then, was under, he was under withdrawing. Yeah. In that first lap. Well then, but then he's got to go over. Right. And then he's got to go over more. You know what I mean? So it's it's this this exchange that's becoming more and more, more difficult for him physiologically. So it it's it's hard. I think the the tactics are incredible in those 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 races and um i mean he what he said could he have you know he ran out a bit of a juice at the end i mean maybe as he matures and i mean he is quite a mature runner but he's really world class now that can he push push through in that sort of circumstance but i think people don't see those tactics can take it really out of you yeah, sure. And and you've got a I lot was... of you've got a lot of things going on. There's a um, there's that cognitive what's going on. He's got to make that decision, and and then that that's it's just exhausting. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's not easy. The one about the race, the paces. Again, yeah, the the and you see the tactics. People people get it wrong. They might get on the inside lane and then that's exhausting or they've had a slow start and they've got to get on the outside. So they're, they're, they've dipped into their bank account to take money away and then they've got to try and settle back and go again. So right. there's, a, there's a whole lot uh, about going on. So, so what I would say is these are much more tactically exhausting oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. than if we, yeah. we just went out and run. I, I, I saw a very interesting thing. And if you look at the 10,000 metres, which I watched the other day. Mm, I watched too. 25 laps. Um, Peter Tiernan was incredible. Yeah, so incredible. And, and 25, 25 laps, work out the pace that is that they're running at. I think they did it in 26 plus minutes. Uh, so work out that pace per kilometre. Um, so that's over. Uh, it's probably 22, 23. I don't know what would be half 22 kilometres an hour maybe yeah. i'm not sure over over 20 kilometers an hour go to a treadmill put 20 kilometers an hour on it just do that for me see how long you can last and these guys are lasting 26 yeah. minutes it's frightening and, and, and yeah, that, yeah and, and i know just on the last one from me then it's up to you but that peter tien and ten thousand. what's what's not going to be recorded in history is the fact that he was with the peloton? Do you use the term peloton in running races? I don't know, but you know, no, what I mean? no, with you, the pack. You, you use that in cycling, and that sort of gets. I know it's a cycling. Yeah, yeah it's, I know it's a cycling term. You, it's you, not, pack. you, you do. He's in the. He's in the pack. I mean, that's he's like, in the pack. That's like he's you call oh, right, a, right. a, a protein bar, a protein drink, like a, a, a muesli bar. It's um, 
what what history is not going to record unless people want to watch it and no one's going to do that mm. apart from the running anoraks history will record his brave finish so his body's just exhausted he's absolutely depleted every av available uh, ounce in the reservoir just to get over the finish line that's what history is going to record or most people's recollection is but actually what needs to be remembered is that he got to that point because he was with the pack right up till the bell lap so he was doing these 20 laps of 20 kilometers an hour he was there yeah yeah you know it's almost the moment of the olympics for me to have watched this guy um, mm. out of australia against these um, incredibly cultured long distance running runners basically out of africa not exclusively but basically uh, out of east africa and he, he's with them until the bell lap and he was and looking God, and he was looking great so just oh that. you know what we were watching he was looking great till then but the bell lap goes, and as soon as he turned the corner, I said yeah. to Kit, uh-oh, look at his shoulders. Yes. His shoulders have started dropping. I, incredible. No one, I didn't foresee, um, I didn't foresee, you know, the rubbery legs at the end, but I saw his form drop at that point, and I thought, mate, that he was at that far into the race, he was still in it against that, uh, that, that, uh, that level of competition. It is what to me needs to be remembered. And do you know? Uh, do, do you know this, Harps? I don't know if you picked up on this. He fell and 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 staggered and got over the finish line. And do you know the time that he ran was his season's best? Ah, uh, even I didn't though know that. even it makes though the story even better. Yeah, he basically collapsed fifty meters from the line and got him. So his last lap was just a write-off, and he still had put enough into the first twenty on with the first yeah. twenty-four laps. I just think it's it, it was. To see him in that position on the when the bell went was the, the my moment of the of the Olympics. Well, it's, what about the decathlon yesterday? Yeah, with the, with the um with the other Aussie in it, yep. with yeah. the our our bronze medalist um struggling in the fifteen hundred, and our other Aussie um basically being with him and being yeah. his coach and yelling at him to get him over the line but yeah that's great you gotta yeah. love it i, I mean, mean you, you gotta love that. i mean we can yeah. be a little bit down on australia but you gotta love australians i think maybe yeah. sometimes we get a little bit down on australia because we know what we can be but that sort of spirit mm. for me is what australians are and um mm. yeah and i love that we'll talk, we'll, we'll talk more about this yeah let's talk more about this in our olympics wrap because yeah, uh, we're starting right. to we're starting to we're starting to move away. But I do want to ask you about Peter Bowl. And uh, anyway, you've answered really well. Thanks for that. Please it up. And good to see you. Always great to see you. What are you going to be wearing next time? Uh, I've I've, I've emptied my wardrobe. By the way, I'm back into flannies next week. Have you? And do you know what? I keep having it out there. You know, I've got a beautiful flannelette uh, sitting up in my wardrobe. And out of respect to you, I was going to wear it. Um, uh, it's it's really nice. Uh, I got it in America. They actually call them. I think they call it uh, plaid. Plaid. I think yeah, Americans are plaid yeah. shirts, yeah. and they and they were quite trendy in the day. Um, yeah. And I got one many years ago. Um, being and it didn't come from Best and Less. Like or yeah. Lowe's. Lowe's like you. You and I grew up with Best and Less. And yeah. um, I don't mind your. I don't mind your shirt. I don't. I don't mind it. No, well, you couldn't wear them. Let's face it, where you where you live in Sydney, you couldn't wear it. It just, I mean, your, your real estate value would plummet. Well, now and it's just not worth <laughs> it. I mean, no one rides a Vespa in a in a flanny shirt. I'm not riding a Vespa. I've got a, I've got my bike. I've got my license. 
It's not a Vespa. All right. Well, all right. Well, no one. You wouldn't. Not only would you not wear a. Um, not only would you not wear a flannelette shirt in a Maserati. Oh. A flannelette shirt would just not ever enter a Maserati. Like even <laughs> even in, in its packaging, you wouldn't even carry. Anyway, we're getting. Hopefully, we're, next time we talk. Yes, but anyway, can I say before next time we, finish, we talk, the IOC. Yeah, yeah, go on. Yeah, no, the questions because we've had some great questions come in. Oh, yes. We've got to do the questions. I'm going to ask you about that. Yes. Do them. What's the point in asking for feedback from our cousins if they give it? <laughs> and we got it this week. And, and we got it. Right. Okay. And please, if you're listening to this as a podcast, go on and give us a review because people have, and, and Harps doesn't really understand this. He wrote to me and said, we've got some five-star reviews. Did you do those? We've <laughs> <laughs> made them. We have made another strategic error, and that is you've waited till an hour and 20 minutes into the podcast to advertise the communication. Most people have slept or left by now. I know, I know. But please, Soccer Doctors podcast is going ahead very, very well. It's got momentum. And please send this out to your friends. Okay, and get them to listen to it. You know, most of Australia is in lockdown. The world, we're talking also, optimistic things here. Yeah. yeah. There's no, what else can you do? Can you get onto the questions or are you just covering up for the fact that they're No, up? we're going to do the questions next time. We want to do them next time. Bulk. Yeah. Okay, Bob. All right. Yeah. All, All right, right, mate. Well, hopefully next time we meet, there's been serious movement from the IOC and FIFA into growing the women's football tournament from the paltry 12 to a more meaningful yes. tournament of 16 teams. Okay, and that is that is a fantastic way to end. Thanks, Harps. Gonya, say bye. See ya. Thanks for listening and we hope you enjoyed this episode. Please contact us if you have any questions or feedback.